seems like forever and I have not preached. It's been, I don't know if you realize this, but it's been like a month since I've been up here preaching and see someone is taking, you know, role. They're like, yes, I do. I know. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the name. Bishop can't get a break. They're like, oh, that's, that's three weeks. That's three weeks. What's up, what's, up, what's, up, what's up with him, right? No, it's all right. Praise the Lord. Really, it was, it, was a, it was a mistake on my part. I didn't realize it until I looked at the calendar, and I was like, man, a month. So I'm going to preach for four hours today. I'm going to make up for lost time because I know you all keeping notes, right, taking, taking record that I've been not here preaching. So I'm going to preach four messages right now, glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. No, I'm just kidding. Glory to God. I do realize that the head can only handle what the behind can handle, glory to God. So I know when you start feeling numb, I'll be getting ready to close. Amen? (laughs) Praise the name of Jesus. In this particular portion of Scripture, we are looking at a prophetic word given to the prophet Isaiah. And he is communicating something that is very timely for the children of Israel. And this ties in, in a portion of it, especially where I want to focus on in verse 6 and 7, ties into what I've been speaking on for the last few weeks when I, was, when, I, when I preached the last couple of times, and I was sharing regarding it's time to pray. And really what we want to understand or what I'm hoping that we grasp as a church is that prayer is something that is vitally needed in the days in which we live. As our sister came from Uganda and she shared, I know that some of you were not here, some of you were, and even, you know, I know she had a strong accent and everything, but she had a powerful message that was coming directly to our hearts regarding us being separated in prayer, us separating ourselves, making sure that we are pressing into God in prayer, seeking him, and there's a purpose for that, and she communicated it clearly, and the reason why I asked her to share it is not because I couldn't say it, but she was actually, and she didn't get into it, but she was actually part of of one of the greatest moves of God over there in Uganda where they began to enter into a time of fasting. They went into a 19-day fast where they were crying out to God. They were trying to organize all kind of things and trying to bring the, the city, the churches, and even the nation's leaders together, and they couldn't do it in their organization, and God called them to a time of fasting. And in this time of fasting, what had happened is in that nation, the nation had been handed over, you know, to witchcraft and these different things. And what ended up happening as a result of this is that the, the, the president at that time, when, they, when this occurred a few years ago, the president at that time, they asked him, the prayer warriors, the intercessors in the church asked him to do something symbolic. And it was for him to take the flag, the nation's flag, and give it to the, to, the, to the intercessors as a sign that we are entrusting this nation to Almighty God. Are you with me here? Now, that's an amazing thing. Imagine our president, okay? Just imagine this now. And I, you know what? Just for the sake of, you know, not trying to be biased or anything like that, um, just imagine any president that we've ever known in the United States of America that would go on ahead and would take the American flag and give it to true intercessors and say, here, we are entrusting this nation to prayer. That would be an amazing thing. That would be an acknowledgement that would say, listen, you know, the separation of church and state, no, 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 we want God all up in this nation. Hello, somebody. I don't know about you, but I want God all up in this nation. And the way that he does that, he doesn't need us to have a symbolism of a flag handed to us. Listen, we are the people that are called by his name. We already have a word from the Lord that shows us exactly that. We don't need to have a flag handed to us. We are the people of God called by his name in this land. Therefore, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, turn away from our wickedness, then he'll do what? He will heal our land. Amen. And so what we have to grasp is that God wants to do something. He wants to do something great and mighty. And, and, and I want to say something because as I was meditating on these scriptures here, I realized something. And I, and I, re, I remember reading a couple of years ago, and I know I shared with someone, I'm not exactly sure who, but we were having a conversation regarding evangelism to, to Jewish people. And in this book that I was reading dealing with this topic, they said something in there that, that, that happens And when you come to a person, and when I say a Jewish person, I don't mean someone who was born Jewish. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who is like Jewish, like at heart. Someone who is really connected to the history and really connected to all of the prophetic things in Christianity. And here's the issue that happens with them, is that they are not, and listen to what I'm going to say, the ones that are really into like Judaism, like seriously, 
they're not looking for a personal savior. They are looking for a national savior. Did you hear me? See, the disconnect is this. When I am evangelizing a person who doesn't have this connection, I can talk to them specifically about their situation, their circumstance, and they are comfortable with receiving a Savior that is personal just for them. When you deal with someone who is really connected and into this, you know, um, Judaism, what happens is they're waiting prophetically prophetically remember Jesus when he comes onto the scene he is there speaking to his disciples and his disciples are asking him what are you now going to restore the kingdom they weren't looking for a savior of 12 they were looking for a savior to the nation why is this important because we need to gain the same mindset did you hear what I just said we need to gain the same mindset we need to become uncomfortable with just our salvation alone and start crying out to God to be a national savior, to be a savior to our nation, not just to be a savior to my family. Oh, yes, my family is part of this nation. I want them to be saved. Amen. But our prayers to God need to become bigger. Our prayers to God need to become greater in our looking and saying, wait a second, it's not just about me being saved because that's what happens to us as Christians. We become comfortable in our situation. You want to know why it's very difficult to get people to pray? Because they really have nothing desperate going on in their life. Let something break out desperately and guess what? Prayer, tears rolling down the face, crying out. They're, fat. They're the most spiritual folk you have ever seen. I want you to know something. I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm trying to paint a picture of a reality. It is difficult to get people to become determined, to become desperate. It is difficult to motivate them in that because, you know, what, 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 why are we talking about prayer still? I mean, you know, we're good. We know we need to pray, Bishop. Let's move on to the next thing, okay? Then I ask you to pray for me, please. Hallelujah. Because there are some of us that are in here, because I, I, I know the truth and the reality is that there are some folks in here, they, you know what, they don't want to hear nothing else about prayer, they're done. They're ready to move on to the next series. Bishop, you haven't preached in four weeks and you will come back and talk about prayer again? It's all right. Listen, it's the truth. And, 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 and the reality is that what I want you want to ask you to do, if you feel that way, listen, do me a favor, pray for me. Because I haven't arrived at a place that I think I got it all down with prayer. As a matter of fact, I'm reading more on prayer now than I've ever read before, glory to God. So you may be hearing about prayer for the next year. Hallelujah. The fact of the matter is that we have to understand the scriptures are showing us some things regarding prayer. God is calling, and I love what she said, because when she, the sister that came from Uganda, when she came here, she said to us clearly, she said, whenever God is getting ready to do something, he always does what? He calls his people into deeper prayer. He calls his people into a deeper place of prayer. And I want to deal with that topic as, as far as why God does that. But there is a reason why he does those things. Because he wants to prepare his people for what he wants to do because he wants to move through us. Looking at Israel as an example, church, I pray that our hearts will begin to look outside of ourselves, outside of our family, outside of our neighborhood, outside of our city, outside of our job place, outside of where we are, outside of our state, and start looking greater at the nation in which we live, that we would look beyond where we're at. I was listening to a preacher, and he said something that was pretty awesome. He was talking about the way that, you know, you, you watch television and you do different, you know, there, there's these different things, you know, these, these realities shows and then there are these other shows and they're like these these little things and so what happens is we look at the news right and the news is pretty depressing can I get an amen, amen. you watch the news and like man people getting killed people doing this to their kids people you over there watching are people crazy yes they need Jesus absolutely right so we get depressed right we start looking at the news that is local we start looking at national news it gets even crazier hello right so we see all this stuff, and then you know what they have? They have these wonderful shows, like home and garden shows. So what do they do? They're teaching you and teaching us. And it's not, I have, I listen, I love home improvement, glory to God. I, lo I love all of those, you know, makeover and all, the, all, all, all that good stuff. Praise the Lord for all that. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise, Father. It's good stuff. I, I'm not, I am not bashing that. 
What I'm simply saying is, what ends up happening is, we become so focused on, well, I'm going to make my garden look good. I'm going to make my house look right. I'm going to get myself a makeover because everything else around me is so depressing, so discouraging. At least my little piece of the world can look good, feel good. It looks like the glory of God. So you know what we do? We get caught up in that little piece of the world forgetting there's a greater thing going on out there that, 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 that a home makeover ain't going to fix. But brokenness in our hearts will. Amen? And so we find here that obviously without question, and I'll reiterate this, we are surely living in the last days. When I talk about the last days, the book of... I'm, First Peter, I mean First Timothy and the Apostle Paul, Second Timothy, he communicates clearly to, the, to, to Timothy and he tells him, listen man, he said perilous times are coming. There are coming days that people don't want to hear the word of God. There are coming days that people are going to bring to themselves teachers with itching ears. There's going to be a day that people are not going to want to hear the truth. They're not going to give, give ear to sound doctrine. They, they don't want to hear any of those things. They, wanna, they, they, they know they need to hear preaching, but they don't want to hear the full counsel of God. Are you with me here? And so he communicates that. And he lets them know that this is the reality. And so those days that, that Paul prophesied about, we are living in. Say amen. amen. We are living in those perilous times. We are living in those difficult days. We are living in that, in that very hour here upon the earth. And see, what happens is we got to realize this. And this is very important because it gives us an eternal, an eternal perspective that we are living in those days. And you know what those days do? Those days precede two things. One of them is the coming of the Lord for his church, and the other one is the wrath of God to be poured out upon the earth. Did you hear that? You see, so we know that we are living in these days. We know that we are living in these difficult times. We know that we are living here and now, yeah, and that's wonderful, but we need to realize that these days precede Christ coming for his church. They also precede the wrath of God. So it is very important that you make sure that if you're sitting in here today that you are right with him. Say amen. Because if you don't know him, if you are not walking with him, it is important that you understand that you and I, we are going to spend eternity either with God or without God. Either in heaven or in hell. It's one or the other. This is factual. So with that fact in mind, we have to realize something. We are living in these perilous times, dark days, difficult days. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to be a people that are just going to sit back? Pastor Robert, as he prayed, he prayed and he said, you know what? If we don't pray, we're sinning. If we don't pray, we're wrong. Because, well, we're living in, in these last days. And the fact is this, and I said this before as well. Each of us will literally take one of two positions in these days. We will either take a passive position or we will take a proactive position, one or the other. We will either take the passive position and say, well, we're living in these perilous days. This is what Paul prophesied about. This is what was spoken about. It's crystal clear. This is how it's going to be. And so you know what? I'm just going to go and, and mosey on through here while I'm in this world. And hopefully I'm going to be all right to get into heaven. Wrong heart. <laughs> Wrong heart. We have to make a decision if we're going to be passive or proactive and be a people that are going to take a position that is going to be used by God to do something. We either believe, and this is what it boils down to, we either believe prayer is necessary and effective and able to make a difference or we believe the contrary. We either believe that prayer is needed it's, it can make a difference. We, we believe that it's something that, we, that, that we've been called to do, or we believe that it doesn't matter. It's one or the other. There's no, no in-between. The question, therefore, for me is not, do we need to pray? That's not the question. The question is, who is willing to respond to God and pray in faith for his divine intervention based on the revelation of his mercy? Did you hear me? We understand the wrath of God. We understand, you know, hell is a fiery place. We understand that that is a place that once you're there, there's no getting out. There's no, you know, no, 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 no rescue, no deliverance. Once you're there, you're there. We understand that. We understand the wrath of, but do we understand the mercy of God just for a moment? Do we understand the mercy of God that we see when we look at another picture of his wrath, which is upon his son? Do we understand that yet? Do, do we grasp that reality that the reason why Jesus came to this earth was to demonstrate the love of God, was to go on ahead and take upon himself the very wrath of God, so what? So that way lost humanity could be delivered from experiencing that wrath. Shows us how much God Almighty loves us. 
how important we are that he would send his son to die. And don't get a big head about how important you are or I am. That's not what it's about. What we have to realize is that the Bible does say, for God so loved the world. He loves, and so he wants to show his mercy. Why do you think, I've said this before, why do you think you have so many years between the time that these scriptures were written and the days that we live in? And we have seen so many. If you just check out modern church history, you don't even have to go to the book of Acts. You can look at modern church history, and you can see how God has moved mightily, and it has been a result of people who have understood his mercy, his ability to deliver from wrath, his ability to convict sinners and that way they can be saved his ability and his desire to bring those who don't know him into a place of intimacy with him it's that understanding that drove these men and women of God to a place of desperation and saying God you are able to deliver to the uttermost we realize the days in which we live but we also realize the God in whom we trust We recognize where we are living in history, but we also realize that you are the one who holds time in your hands. You are the one who controls all of these things. Therefore, we know that you are able to break free those who are bound in sin. You are able to grant repentance to those who don't know you. You are able to show them their need for you, even though it looks impossible, even though it looks like it's never going to change. He is able to do it. Many people felt that way throughout history, and God breaks in and intervenes and does something mighty. So it's not a question of should we pray or do we need to pray. The question is, will you respond to God based on the revelation of his mercy and begin to pray like never before? Then I want you to realize that God is not looking to convince us to pray. He is looking to convert us as we pray. He is not looking to convince you and I, oh, you need to pray. No, 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 you should know that. He's not looking for you to pray because you heard a message. He's not looking for you to pray because you read a book. He is looking for you to pray because you recognize who he is. But above anything else, he wants to convert our hearts. He wants to change the way we think, the way we view, the way that we act, the way we respond. He wants to transform us. And the place that he does that is in a prayer closet. In a prayer closet. And I was praying the other day. We, we On Tuesday night, we were praying at my grandmother's house. And... As we're praying over there and the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you know, I, I've prayed this before and I've probably said this tons of times, you know, but I, I, as, as I was praying, I said, God, we have all these people coming out of the closet. Can you bring Christians back into the closet? We have all of these folks coming out, talking about where, where, where they stand on certain things and where, where they stand in their sexuality, where they stand in their relational position, where they stand. And all, they come out of the closet, right? And they're letting us know, yo, we're, we're out, we're loud, and we're proud, okay? Christians, can I encourage you? Get in the closet. Get in the prayer closet. Get in the place where you are broken before God so that way those people who are in their own closet of bondage, hello, can meet the almighty God whom you are communing with and when they come out of that closet, they come out free from the bondage because you have been in the closet with almighty God praying for them and then you have communicated not only the word of God but you have communicated in the love of God and in the power of the spirit of God and brought healing into their lives. That's the reason why we need to enter into the prayer closet and be broken before Almighty God. So that way those people who are bound in confusion, who are bound in their condition, can find deliverance. They don't find it apart from God's chosen delegates upon the earth, and that is us, the church. And if we're not burdened in prayer... We're not going to see God doing what God wants to do. When we look at this particular portion of Scripture, we find something that's pretty amazing here. And we see that in verse 6 and 7. Look what it says. After God goes, and I want you to realize the way God does this. He like puts in a sandwich here. Because in the first part of the verse there, in verses 1 through 5, he's communicating where they were. He's communicating what his promises are there. He's saying to them, you were this, now you're going to be this. And then he goes on after these verses, and he communicates again that he has sworn this. And he gives them these promises about the future. But in the middle of all of these promises, he says something. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him 
in your translation, most of them, that H is capitalized because it is speaking of God. And it is God communicating to the watchman to give him, meaning God, no rest till he, God, establishes. Until he, God, makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, why is it that that even matters? Don't we have a sure promise in, in, in verses 1 through 5? Say amen because it's yes. Don't we have some sure promises, verses, you know, 8 through 12 or whatever it is? Say yes, amen, yes. They're clear promises. God is like, look, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the next thing. But in the middle of it, he says, and I put watchmen on your walls. Why does that even matter? We know that all scripture is inspired of God, amen? So that means that if it is in there, it matters, amen? It is, it is important to what God is going to do in the earth. Let me give you another New Testament scripture that I want to bring you to because I want you to go there. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to get to the first point of this message. Glory to God. I'm only going to get to the first point today, but it's all right. Praise the name of hmm, Hallelujah. I'm telling y'all. Glory to God. Matthew chapter 6. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 6. And, we, and, we, and you know what we're going to do? We're just, just for fun, we're going to start reading in verse 5. Just for fun. Because the word of God, just for fun, you know. It's for fun. Are you there? Say amen. amen. And when you pray, this, Jesus is like assuming you're praying, right? And when you pray, because this is something everybody should be doing, and when you pray. Glory to God. I love Jesus. He just assumes stuff. Oh, they're going to pray. They're going to they're pray. I love Jesus. Hallelujah. I love his word. He's funny. Jesus is hilarious. Glory to God. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So he's telling me, like, look, man, when you pray, don't pray like them. Don't be out there so other people can hear you. Because that's their goal. Their goal is so people acknowledge, wow, what a prayer warrior he is. This one knows all of the prayers that we're supposed to pray, and he does them quick. Glory to God. He, he, he knows all of them, right? Okay? He said, don't be like them. He said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. I love that. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. The place where nobody has access to, the place where nobody has a right to come unless they're invited, the place that nobody sees you because it's in that place that you get naked. Hello. Did you hear what I just said? Glory to God. It's in that place where you walk around like you wouldn't walk around anywhere else. Hello, somebody. In that place, you, 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 and nobody in here is just leaving windows open. Come on, just check me out in the secret place. Nobody is doing that. Running around, you left the window open. You running across the house as quick as you can, right? Uh, hello, somebody. Because you, right, I, I know I, I didn't see you, but I've done that. Hello, right? <laughs> running across, don't, don't want to offend anybody. You know, don't want your neighbors to think, this guy's crazy, right? So run, you know, quickly. Get over there. Or, or, or you stand next to the thing. It's close to the wall, and you're like, turning the thing over here, glory to God, to close the shield, you know, the, the shades and area. Okay, glory to God, right? Because what? That's the secret place. This is... The, the place that I abide, right? So he says, you go into that place. Go there by yourself. Nobody else is going to be there. It's just going to be God. And it's so awesome because it says your father is waiting for you there. Do you see that? Do you see? Look, 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 look at the Bible. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, go there where your father is. Your father, listen to me, he is waiting for us. Our heavenly father is waiting on us where? In the secret place. Let me tell you something. I want to encourage you because I don't want to get too religious about this. Jesus has given an illustration. Your secret place may be the driver's seat of your car. Did you hear what I just said? That may be the place that you get intimate with God. Now, I'm just going to encourage you because I've been there with intimacy with God. You start crying and get all crazy. Pull over, please. It's worse than driving and texting. It's dangerous. 
All right? I'm just letting you know that. Just pull over to the side, glory to God, and just, just take a moment with the Lord when, when it comes. And that, that may be the place that you, you know, you get in there, and that may be the, that may be the only place. And, and I'm not, you, ain't gotta, you don't even have to drive anywhere. You can just go sit in that front seat of your car and just get away from everybody. That may be the place that you have with God. So I'm not telling you it has to be in a bedroom or in a literal closet. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to let you know is that there is a place where it's just you and him, and he's waiting for you there. He is waiting for us in that secret place because he sees what's going on. He sees what we're going to, he sees what we're crying out for. He sees the needs that are there, and he's calling us into that place because what? He wants to reward us. Listen, this is not my words. All these words, if you have the right Bible there in red, hello. You got the wrong Bible, you're like, Bishop, what are you talking about? But if you got the right Bible, pay a little bit of extra money, glory to God. Have one of my, 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 other, my study Bible. I was cheap. I was like, well, I, I need the notes. I don't need the red letters. Hello, somebody. I pay like $10 less, and I'm like, man, that's in red. I got to look at my other Bible. Glory to God. But here, these letters are in red. I didn't bring up re- reward, did I? No. I read reward out of your Bible, out of my Bible, and you read it right next to me, right? Amen? Jesus is talking about a reward. He is going to respond. He is going to add unto you those things that are necessary. But what do we have to do? Go into the secret place. Verse 8 says, therefore, do not be like them. I'm sorry, in verse 7 here. It says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. And so what we have here, Jesus communicating and saying, listen, it's not about how many words you say. Don't learn a prayer. Learn to pray. Do you hear that? Don't learn a prayer. Listen, I know some of us were taught, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I know we were taught that, okay? And go on ahead and do that, but use that. Don't, don't, don't just let that be your prayer time. Did you hear me? Let, 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 let that be a basis for your prayer time. Don't that just, let that just be your prayer time. Now, I've heard people that they've given me a testimony. They said, you know what? You know the way I got delivered from this thing? I started saying our Father. Praise the Lord. There's power in those words there and just being sincere. And when you're coming up in temptation, that's the word of God. The word of God sets us free. Ye shall know the truth. The truth will make you free. You don't have to be all, you know, with all this great and, you know, um, an, an expansive vocabulary to be able to get God's attention. No, you can pray a prayer and say, our Father in heaven from your heart. How will be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and going through all of that with God sincerely. But what I'm saying is, don't let that be what your prayer life consists of. Amen? And so we have Jesus saying, it's not about vain repetition, because sometimes we think God hears us because we repeat ourselves over and over and over and over again. Or we say something that sounds spiritual. Now hear me. I want to also balance and qualify this statement because you find in other places where Jesus talks about being a person who continues to communicate to God until you get an answer. That is not what Jesus is condemning. He is condemning the way that people think, well, if I say the right prayer, I say the right words, God is going to hear me. Listen, God is not listening to the words you're saying alone. He is looking at the condition of your heart. He is looking at what is going on inside of you. He is looking at what is happening in here because that's what, he, that's what he's concerned about. He's not concerned about how eloquent you are or not. Sincere hearts in prayer, right? So Jesus goes on to say, therefore, verse 8, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 10 is the verse I said to look at. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do I need to ask that? Why do I need to ask for his will to be done? Isn't it just going to be done? Are you, are you getting the question or are you just, you're, you're, you're understanding If it's his will, right, if it is his will, it is his purpose, why does he instruct me to ask for it to be done? Can I just tell you why in the most simple terms I can say it? Prayer matters. Did you hear that? Prayer matters. It is part of what God does. Repeat this with me. This is my first and last point that I'll make today. God has chosen a manner in which he will move in the earth. And it's through prayer. 
He's, he, he, I didn't choose it. I, I did not choose this. He chose this. He's the one who decided this is how he's going to do things. What do you mean? Well, I gave you New Testament. I give you Old Testament. We're looking at the Old Testament in Isaiah. He tells these watchmen. He tells them very clearly. And, I'm gonna, and I'll get into this a little bit more. The next time that I speak on prayer, I'm going to speak next week, but I'm probably going to do a Christmas message. That's why I said the next time. Don't get nervous. I'm not taking another month off. Hear me. He communicates to these watchmen. He tells them that they are to give him no rest, that they are to continue on day and night. They're, con- they're there to continue on to give him no rest till he does what he says he's going to do, right? So God communicates that there. Here we see Jesus clearly saying in his teaching on prayer, he tells his disciples and all who are listening to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, prayer matters, but it's not just, it doesn't just stop there. Because when you read your Bible, you will notice something. God doesn't spend a whole lot of time just commanding or exhorting on prayer. There are exhortations in prayer, and we'll get into those. There are commands about praying. All of those things are there, and that is truthful. But you know what God gives us even more than anything else throughout the Bible? Examples of prayer. He gives us examples of prayer and people praying in moments that for me, it's like, does that even make sense? Why Why did he need to pray? Give you one example. First example, you can write this down. The book of Genesis chapter 20, a man by the name of Abraham. He meets, what, he meets with these people down by the Negev and, and, and the person there by the name of Abimelech. It's a king, right? And, 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 and this is the, the second time that Abraham, and I don't understand why Abraham does this. And this is one of those stories that I just don't understand. I, I really don't get the whole thing. I don't know why God, you know, was so merciful, but that is just how he is. That, that, that's all I can tell you about that. But what I know is this, is that in this story, Abraham, the first time, before he got his name changed, right, he tells his wife, Sarai, they come to Egypt. And y'all remember this story in the beginning when he first leaves his father's house and all that good stuff. They go down to Egypt. He tells his wife, says, listen, you're beautiful. Tell him you're my sister. Hello, somebody. She must have been pretty beautiful. Because they're going to kill me for you is what he was saying. What he was saying. They go down to Egypt. They're there. He doesn't tell them. You know, he tells them that they're, you know, their sister and brother. Well, you know, Egypt experiences some plagues because of what? Because of this situation. They leave. They don't talk about prayer there, right? When you go over here to verse to chapter 20, you find that he does the same thing again. Has his name changed, figure things are different. He goes there, Abimelech, he tells his wife again, listen, tell me you're my sister because they're going to kill me for you. And so he goes on ahead. She tells him to your sister. The king, you know, they, they bring him, the, the, the king's servants bring her to the king. The king is there. The king has a dream. Listen to this dream. God tells him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to talk about a dream that I don't want to have, it's this one. He says to him, you are a dead man. No, you didn't hear what I said because I only got Mike and like three people who said something. God said to this man in a dream, you are a dead man. Understand, you don't want that dream. You do not want that dream, <laughs> glory to God. You, you've never had a nightmare to compare to that one. I don't care what, I don't care what building you were falling off. I don't care where you were drowning. I, it, it doesn't matter. You have, I don't care who was chasing you. Almighty God appears to you in a dream and says, you are a dead man. That's a scary dream. Abimelech is like, whoa, 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 whoa. He starts having a conversation. He's like, wait a second. He said, I haven't touched her. And God is like, yeah, you're right. I kept you from touching her because in reality, God is telling him this about him being a dead man. God don't want to kill nobody. Hello? That's why people got issues with God and hell and all these different things. Listen to me. God doesn't want people to suffer. People choose now, oh, Bishop, what do you mean? You know, some people, I didn't choose to get sick. I didn't say that. There's sin in the world, not because you sin. Sometimes we get sick and we experience certain sufferings. I'm not talking about that. God is going to walk you through that when you're going through that. Amen, somebody? But when I talk, God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. Hello. That's why we need a revelation of his mercy. Amen. So he tells him he's a dead man. They have the conversation. And all of this conversation, this guy, Abimelech, this king, he is demonstrating a repentant heart. He's like, I am sorry. I did not mean to do anything. And, and you know what God tells him? He tells him, well, this guy, Abraham, he's a prophet. Have him pray for you. He just, the guy just like throws that in there. Oh, he's a prophet. Have him pray for you. Why does he have to pray for me? He lied to me in the first place. That's why I'm saying I don't understand the whole story, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line is he goes 
to, to, to Abraham, and he tells him, man, why did you lie to me? Why didn't you tell me the truth? Abraham's like, man, I didn't think that you had the fear of God. I didn't think that there was, I thought you would kill me. So we go on from that area. Abraham prays, God heals the wombs of all of the women. Hello. Why does God connect prayer? He's just giving us an example that prayer matters. That'll be the title of the message today. Prayer matters. Let's give you another title, glory to God. Prayer matters. Next person I want to give you an example of in prayer. Remember Moses? Remember Moses, right? The book of Exodus, you can write this one down in Exodus chapter 32. This is another amazing portion of scripture. Moses is up on the mountain with God. The glory of God is up there. God is literally, listen to me now, God is literally writing in tablets. I don't know if there's like a laser coming from him and it's just going, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. And all I'm saying is that the Bible says that God wrote on the front and the back of this thing, right? Well, the scripture says, not me. You can check it out. God is writing on it. God is showing him the commandments and the things for the people. Well, the people are over here down in the valley, right, at the bottom of the mountain. They didn't want to go up there and talk to God. So they're down there in the bottom of this valley, and they're down there with, with Aaron, who's supposed to be another man of God here, and they're like, listen, Moses is taking a long time, so we need some gods. So Aaron, instead of rebuking them, right, he says, well, take off your gold, Right? They create this calf. They begin to worship this calf. God tells Moses at the end of all of this, God writing in the stones, he's like, listen, get away from me. Moses is like, wait a second. We're in the glory right here. We're having a good moment. <laughs> you know, this, this is a good time. God's like, get away from me. I'm going to kill all of these people. That's another thing I don't want to hear. Hello. I'm going to kill all of these people because they're worshiping falsely. You know, you know what Moses does? Moses begins to pray. He begins to talk to God, and he says, God, how are you going to do that to these people? How are you going to kill the people that you brought out of Egypt? Then all the world is going to talk about you and say, you brought these people out, and now you killed them? It's going to be a horrible story. You know what the Bible says? This is another one that's going to blow your mind. It literally says God changed his mind. That was like someone was like, whoa, whoa, change God, God changed mine. Can't happen. Hmm. <laughs> Listen, read your Bible. You see those moments that you just had? You have plenty of those. Be like, wow, what is that about? Glory to God. Listen, I don't pretend to understand everything about God. If I did, I'd be in heaven somewhere. Hallelujah. Or I'd create a cult somewhere else, you know, and be like, yes, I have all the understanding of God. <laughs> I don't. The point that I'm trying to make, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand everything. I don't, I don't have every single answer. But I know this much. God was angry with these people because they had seen his hand of deliverance. Are you hearing me? They had seen, they saw God enter into Egypt. They saw God bring all of these plagues on Egypt and not touch them. They saw God bring them out of Egypt, open the Red Sea, bring them through the Red Sea, kill the rest of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. God, they had seen, they saw God send manna from heaven. They saw God bring water from a rock. They saw God do all of these things. They even had an opportunity to come and communicate with God, but the thunders and the lightnings and the loudness of his glory scared them, and they told Moses, listen, you go up there and talk to God. We don't want to deal with him, and so Moses goes up onto the mountain with God, seeking the face of God, and God has given him this revelation of the temple and all of these things, and as he's given him this revelation, God is communicating with him, and God becomes angry because at the same time that God is speaking about their future, giving them instruction to Moses. What are they doing? They're down there creating gods. They're creating their own gods to worship their way when they want gods they can control instead of submitting to almighty God. He gets angry. And he's like, man, I've been more than good to these people. I have shown these people my glory. I have shown them my goodness. And they decide they're going to worship other gods. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. I can start off new with you, Moses. Hello. Moses prays. God changes his mind. Moses prays. God, Why? Because prayer matters. Prayer matters. Real prayer matters. Real prayer changes things. Listen, God meant what he said, and because a man took a position of intercession, God changed his mind. God changed the direction of his wrath. God changed that and decided, you know what, you're right. 
And then Moses goes down, and it's, it, it's an amazing story because you see it. It's like Moses over here crying out for the people as he's coming down the mountain. Then he's getting angry. He throws the tablets on the floor, breaks them. And then he's like, you know what, y'all, if you're with the Lord, get over here, grab some swords. We're going to kill the rest of these fools. Dead, I'm, I'm serious. Do you know what it shows me? This is what it shows me. It shows me that God changed his mind, but he also accomplished his will to get those people out of the way. You hear what I said? He didn't kill everybody, but he did bring some judgment on some folks. Man of prayer, Moses. How about Joshua, chapter 7? You remember him, right? Prayer matters. Joshua, they go knock down the walls of Jericho, have a great victory. They go up, they go up against Ai. They get beat. They turn around, run back. What does Joshua do? Try to figure out another battle plan? No. Falls on his face before God. He begins to pray because what? He realizes that prayer changes things. It is in that prayer that God begins to speak to him and show him, listen, you have sinned. Israel has sinned because Achan, and he didn't, give him, he didn't tell him who it was, but he said there's sin there. You need to deal with that sin, and then you're going to have victory. What did he do? He ran to the place of prayer, church, because that's what we do when we are people, when we are children of God. How about another person that I love? Her name is Hannah. Y'all know who Hannah is, right? First Samuel chapter 1. She was the prophet Samuel's mother. And I love Hannah because she was a woman who had a barren womb. She was a woman who was being mocked by her, you know, by her sister over there. She was being mocked because her sister was having all kind of kids and she wasn't having any children. And so she was just tormented in her soul. And it's almost like when you look at her story, God allows her to become tormented in soul because she is barren because he has a greater purpose. He needs to bring a prophet into the land. And so what he does is he gets a woman to a place where she is desperate, she is broken, and she is burdened before God. And she comes before him and says, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And he said, I found a womb. I found a place where I can birth the next prophet. One of the greatest prophets to ever walk the planet was Samuel. And came out of what? A woman who was agonizing over the fact that she was barren. And she began to realize, you know what, God? It's not even about me. It's about you. She prayed it. She said, God, it's not about me having a baby. It's about you being glorified. I'll give him back to you. But give me a son. How did it happen? It happened in prayer. Why? Because prayer matters. Prayer matters. You continue on throughout, throughout the scriptures, and the next, in the next chapter there, or the next book, is the book of 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I put a different little twist on the scripture here that I put in there. I didn't want to just give you prayers that were answered with a yes. I want to give you some prayers that were answered with a no. Remember Daniel? Remember, I, mean, I mean David, not Daniel, David. Glory to God. I'm getting to Daniel. We're going to get there in a moment. Hallelujah. Remember David, right? Man after God's own heart. Remember he, he, he committed one great sin. Remember that? One thing that stands out. Remember her name? Bathsheba? Right? Standing up on the top of his, house, uh, of, you know, of his house, looking down, saw this beautiful woman taking a bath. She should have been in the secret place. Right? She thought it was a secret place, but he was kind of high up there, you know. So he was looking down. He was like, oh, what's going on in the secret place? All right? Peeping Tom over here. David... All right, go, go tell me who that woman is. She's married to so-and-so. David is like, well, I want to be with her anyway. He goes ahead. He's with her. She gets pregnant. She gets pregnant. He tries to bring her husband home. Goes through, he goes through this whole situation. Y'all remember how, how, how ugly that I mean, that was an ugly. That's an ugly story, right? Brings her husband home. He's like, I'm not going to lay with my wife. These people out at war. I'm going to be honorable. He's demonstrated more honor than David. David's like, I can't get this guy to sleep with his wife and say that that's his child, so you know what? I'm going to have to kill him. Crazy. Crazy. Husband's killed. Prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him, hey, man, I want to tell you a story. Tells him this story. He's like, that person needs to pay double. Says, you the man. You the man is you. David is like, oh. <laughs> so then, what does David do? His son that Bathsheba bore becomes sick. What does David do? He goes into a time of fasting, mourning, and weeping before God Almighty. He won't get up and eat. He won't do anything. Sackcloth, ashes, crying out to God. Seven days later, the child dies. God said, no. I'm not going to restore the child's life. 
God said, no, I'm not going to heal the child's sickness. God said, no. That's what God said. God has a right to say no. Say amen. And I know we want to hear that God says yes to everything because his promises are yes and amen. That doesn't mean he's going to say yes to everything you ask him. But you know what he'll never say no to? He'll never say no to walking with you through whatever you're going through. He will walk with you through any time that he has to say no to you. He's saying, I'm saying no, but I'm going to walk with you through that no. That's the God we serve. He doesn't say no, go do it on your own. That isn't what he says. He said no. The child dies. David is on his face. His servants are like, man, we don't want to go tell him anything. David sees them whispering. The Bible said he perceives that the child is dead. What does he do? He gets up, washes himself off. The next thing he does, I love it. The next thing he does, goes into the temple, worships God. He doesn't go eat yet. He goes into the temple, worships the Lord. Then after he's done worshiping God, giving God glory, saying, I heard your no, and I accept it. You're righteous. I'm wretched. You're glorious. I'm messed up. I was wrong. You are right. Therefore, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to give you praise, give you glory. I'm going to adore you because you said no, and I accept it because you are a good God that is sovereign no matter what I'm facing. After he's done worshiping, then he goes, sits at his table, tells his servants, bring me some food. Servants bring him some food. They're like, what's wrong with you, man? When the child was alive, you were over here dying, killing yourself, fasting, praying. Now the child is dead and you want to eat? He's like, listen, when, I was, when, when the child was alive, there was hope. Who knew? Maybe God might have responded and brought the kid back and everything would have been okay. He said, I can't bring the child back. I'm going to go to him, but he can't come back to me. You know what happens next after that? This is what I love. The next thing that happens, and I mean, I'm sure, pretty sure there were some other things that happened, but the next thing that the scriptures show us happened is he goes to comfort his wife. When he goes to comfort his wife, he lays with her again, and she becomes pregnant with the next king of Israel. So he said, no, but I'm going to walk with you through it. And you know what Solomon's name means? Peace. Oh, glory to God. So through it all, I'm going to give you peace. And then God sends like this word, right? Sends a word through Nathan and says, yeah, you named him Solomon because he brought you peace, but I want you to know I love him, so I call him Jedediah, right? God is amazing. This is my name for him. You call him whatever, this is my name for him. That's what we need to find out, amen? We need to find out what God says our name is. Y'all didn't hear that. We need to find out what God says our name is. Hallelujah. So we're getting, we're getting somewhere. So we see prayer matters. Moving forward. And this is going to be the last one that I'll talk to you about in, 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 in major detail. And the person I said, y'all remember Daniel, right? Daniel, a man of prayer. If there was ever someone who was a man of prayer, was Daniel this prophet. And the Bible goes on and it tells us something that's pretty amazing. And I want to read this scripture. I want you to turn there to the book of Daniel, please. Turn, your, turn to the book of Daniel chapter 9. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9. We got to say amen. amen. Beginning in verse 1, I want you to read this. I just want to read this because this is just like one of the most amazing prayers I've ever seen prayed. And I think that this type of prayer, we need to pray for our nation. It says, in the first year, verse 1, it says, in the first year of Darius, the son of, of Ahuzerus, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Let me pause for a moment because what Daniel was doing is what we're supposed to be doing. Is what? Reading our Bibles. That's what he was doing. He was being a student of the word of God. He was, listen, he didn't get some great revelation on his own. No, that isn't what happened. What motivated his prayer is what should motivate our praying, the very word of God. He saw what the word of God said. He saw that there was a declaration that was made in the book of Jeremiah. And, and, and the prophet Jeremiah had declared that this judgment would go on because of, of Israel's disobedience. They had been in bondage for all of these years. And now the time is coming for this revelation to come or, or, or for the manifestation of this promise to come. And so Daniel 
is there hearing what God is communicating in the word of God, not audibly. He's hearing and reading the scriptures. Verse 3 says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes simply mean a demonstration of humility, simply saying that we recognize that we are nothing. We are like this dirt. That is what is acknowledging it. So when we, do, when we see that sackcloth, that's, and it's tied in with fasting because when you're fasting, it is not about what you are getting from God. It is about what you are giving to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about you getting stuff. That's the way pagans are, what they do. People who don't know God, you know, that they, they have false religions. Well, I'll fast so I can be empowered. Listen, you and I are empowered by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. Amen? These other folks are fasting for different reasons. We fast in brokenness and humility before God because we need to hear from him. Amen? We're separate. So they go ahead. Daniel wants to hear from God. He wants to get a revelation. He wants to pray. He wants to see what God is communicating. And so he says, I prayed to the Lord in verse 4, my God, and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant in mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by, excuse me, by departing from your precepts and judgments. Now, let me just pause because I love this. Daniel is the one who comes in and, you know, the king is like, listen, we're going to hook you up with food, change your name and all this and that. He's like, listen, I don't want any of your food. I just want vegetables. That's it. I want vegetables, water, and, you know, bread. We're going to be all right. That's all I want. I don't want none of your meats or nothing like that. And I say that because this was a truly righteous man of God. This is someone who was really devoted. This is someone who, in my opinion, this is my opinion, I don't think that this person would be one that I would label as, wow, this is someone that needs to pray a prayer of repentance. This is someone who's saved. This is someone who's walking with God. This is someone who's in an intimate relationship with him. He reminds me a lot of the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul says something, and I can't remember where it's exactly quoted, but it's in the New Testament. He's communicating. He says, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't say I was. He said, I am the chief of sinners. As a man of God, years after conversion, I am the chief of sinners. This is what he's, because you know what? The closer he gets to God, the more he understands how holy God is and how unholy he is. You and I would see this person as someone walking on clouds, and he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Daniel, similar. Daniel goes on ahead, and he begins to pray this prayer of, prayer of repentance, verse 6. It says, neither have we heeded your servants, your servant, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the Lamb. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to, the, but, to us, but, but to us shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far off in all countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel. Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as to not obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his word, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. And it is amazing how many times we see things that are going on that are unrighteous, that are, that, that are unjust, things that are unholy, things that we know that do not please God, things that we know don't honor him, and we're not moved to pray at all. We're not moved to repent at all. We're not moved to change. We just live in an area of compromise, and, and Daniel is saying, this is wrong. We should have been turned to repentance when we began to see the judgments unfolding, when we began to see the things happening that were horrible, the things that we know that are the results of sin. We should have been, been brought to repentance, but we weren't we weren't we continued on rebelling and doing the things that we want to do therefore 
And he says, in, in, in verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication for the Lord's sake. Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplication before you because of, because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. We don't come before you because we're all that. We don't even come, we don't even come before you because we've realized anything about us. It's because of you. It's the same thing, church, because of Jesus that we're able to come. In verse 19, he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. And if you keep reading there, as he's praying, Gabriel appears to him, gives him the great revelation of the 70 weeks, and we know the 70 weeks of Daniel, talking about the end times. Look, Daniel went in there to make intercession about their present condition, and God gave them a revelation, gave him a revelation that atheists, that people that hate the Bible, hate God, don't want, want to disprove God, this is one of the books that they have the hardest time with. Because the accuracy that is found in this book and the prophecies that God gave to Daniel, they are amazed. And they say, you know what, there's only one way that this could have been this accurate. And is that it was actually written much later than it is dated to have been written. Not so. There is another way. Almighty God showed from heaven what his will and his purpose was going to be in this earth. And made it clear through his servant Daniel. This is the heart that we should have in prayer. But Daniel does what? He reads the word of God and he sees what the word of God says and he goes into the place of prayer. He goes into that place where God is calling him in prayer. And as he begins to pray, he's praying for what? He's praying for God's purposes to be accomplished. He's praying for God's purposes to be fulfilled. When we continue on through our Bible and we continue to look at examples, there are more, many more examples that I could give you in the Old Testament, but I will stick with these here. When you move into the New Testament, you know that Jesus was one who was given to prayer. He was one that prayed consistently. He shows that prayer matters. And you continue on from Jesus and you go into the book of Acts, you find the disciples in the church, they were given to prayer. They prayed until the Holy Spirit came down. When they were persecuted, they began to pray. When Peter was in prison, they began to pray and ask God to deliver him. That is what they did. They were a people who were given to prayer. When you search church history, that is modern day church history, you find the same thing. People are devoted to prayer and those are the ones whom God decides that he is going to move through. And we've got to understand understand this, that God has never and he will never entrust a true move of his spirit to a prayerless people. Did you hear me? He has never done it. He's not going to make history. Did you hear me? Not like that. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a new thing in the earth. I'm going to find a prayerless people. I'm going to find a people that don't really seek me, that aren't passionate, that aren't devoted, that aren't desperately going out. I'm going to find a people like that, and I'm going to pour out my spirit upon them. No. That's not the way that God operates. That's not what God wills to do. That's not what his word shows us. That's not the examples that we find in the scriptures. And so we want to see a move of God in the earth. I don't know about you, but I know that I do. And what we have to realize is that God wants to impregnate and empower a prayer-filled people, a people who are, who are praying and seeking him. He wants to move through them. He wants to do things in this earth. He wants to bring salvation to souls. He wants to restore lives. He wants to bring healing to our land. He wants to do something and he is calling us to be a people of prayer. He's calling us. He's saying, church, arise. And I close with this here. Casual, self-centered prayer is not enough to bring revival. But not only that, it's not even a worthy response to the sacrifice that Jesus made. 
just praying about me and my situation, my stuff getting better, praying about my financial issues, praying about how, how is that worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made? Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't it all about Jesus? Isn't it all about what Jesus did for us? Because I don't know why you're here today. I know why I'm here today. I'm here because of what Jesus did on that cross. I'm here because of the sacrifice he made for me. And I'm not just here, but I live for him when I leave here because of the sacrifice he made for me. When I enter into that prayer closet, I realize something. When you read your Bibles and you look at the book of Hebrews, you find something. And you find that there was a living way that was made for you and for I to enter into the presence of God. You know what that living way was? It was the shed blood of Jesus. Do you get that? It was the shed blood of Jesus. And so when I neglect to pray, and again, I'm not trying to convince you to pray. I'm not trying to convict you. I'm not trying, none of that stuff. I don't want to make you feel, well, you don't pray enough. No, that's not the point. I want you to understand that prayer is not an obligation. It's not, it's not just a commandment that's in the word. No, but it is also a privilege. And more than a privilege, it is something that was paid. It was a price that was paid for you and I just to be able to pray. Understand this. We couldn't fully come before God without the blood of Jesus. Without that veil being torn, those sacrifices would still be being made today. All of those sacrifices that you read about in the Old Testament. But Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice to pave the way, and that paving is his blood. So just praying about me, praying a casual prayer, praying about my situation. Listen, I want you to know your daddy he knows that he knows that he knows what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're facing. And he doesn't want you to just stay stuck in that situation. He doesn't want you to stay stuck in that area where you're at. He doesn't want that. But he, he doesn't want you to only be self-centered. He doesn't want you to just be focused on you and your problem and your situation. He wants to show you what he wants to do in this earth. And he wants to use you and he wants to use myself to bring it forth. That's the truth, church. It's a poor response. It's not a worthy response for what the Savior did for us. So I'll stand to our feet, please.